Du lytter nu til et interview i regi af Forum for Videnskab og Demokrati. Thomas Følker, gæsteforsker ved Center for Videnskabsteori ved Universitetet i Bergen og sekretær for UNESCO's ekspertgruppe interviews av Ingel Pilskog, førsteamanensis i Naturfag ved Høgskole på Vestlandet. Welcome Thomas. We are here together today to talk about the uh, uh, report Knowledge-Driven Actions Transforming Higher Education for Global Sustainability. Um, so welcome. Hello. Uh, hey, uh, what were your your role in this? Um, first of all, thanks for inviting me to this conversation. I'm very glad I get to talk about the report since this is part of kind of its afterlife or trying to spread the message across multiple channels. And so the the report itself was uh, an initiative by the University of Bergen and uh, UNESCO, um, initiated by Stefano Giannini, um, Assistant Director General for Education at UNESCO, and uh, Annelien Eriksen, who was back then um, Vice Rector for Global Relations uh, at University of Bergen. And this goes back like to, I think it was 2019 at the SDG Bergen Conference, where uh, Stefania Giannini was invited to give a keynote about education and the SDGs. And like after the keynote, uh, her and Anneline got into talking and decided, okay, this is an important topic to talk about what can universities do um, or contribute to achieving the SDGs and where where are problems or where are barriers and so after kind of several rounds of conversations they decided to have a so-called uh, independent expert group was the best way to continue um, this conversation and to establish this expert group they first created a so-called secretariat and this was uh, my role. So I was part of the secretariat. I was responsible for kind of the academic scientific part, which meant uh, selecting or helping selecting the experts, um, helping kind of uh, gather background material, support the experts then in their work and what they did, and these kinds of works. And yes, I had a counterpart at UNESCO um, Phoebe Kirkup, and then there was also a more administrative part to the Secretariat, which was uh, at UAB Christian Svartweit and Passportales at UNESCO. So the Secretariat was four persons, and the expert group then in the end was like 14 experts. So you were uh, four in the Secretariat, where two in Bergen and two at UNESCO? Yeah, and then 14 experts that you were helping finding and so on. Uh, which, which type of experts were you trying to find? Like, what did you think was necessary to write such a report? Um, well, we went in the end for having a diversity of different experts. Uh, first of all, uh, from a, from different disciplinary backgrounds. So we had um, natural scientists, um, people with experts in the medical sciences, uh, we had historians, we had social scientists. 
um, but all with some expertise and ideally active scientists somehow related to the area of education or science policy so that they actually would have to say something about where uh, universities should go based in their own research activities. And then, of course, also geographical considerations played a role and also gender and age uh, considerations to a lesser degree. So we tried to have really a broad variety, which ended up geographically. I think the group spanned from Shanghai to uh, Chile. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a broad geographical diversity, which came with some problems in organizing the Zoom meetings. So which time slots to choose so that people were rested. Yeah, because the work here happened during the pandemic and yes. the work was done over Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first idea was to have a couple of, I think, four workshops, like real in-person uh, meetings and writing workshops to conceptualize the report, to talk about the outline and then to also write together in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course, the work period being from, I think, uh, mid-2020 to mid-2021, at the height of the pandemic did not allow for any travel, so we opted for Zoom meetings instead. Mm -hmm which was a challenge, but in the end worked out fine. Yeah. Um, the report itself uh, consists sort of, of uh, five main parts where you are starting with the introduction and end up with some recommendations. But if we go into, try to go into the report a bit, you, the second chapter, Beyond Disciplinary Boundaries for the SDGs. Yeah. Um, what's, uh, like, what were you trying to do when you were looking beyond the boundaries? <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe I start a bit mm. with kind of the background because this yeah. is, I think this is relevant to how the different chapters in the report mm. turned out. So, um, the starting point for the discussions more or less was that there is kind of calls for social, political and economic transformations. And that's what the kind of SDGs are all about, right? Mm. And the SDGs are mainly a political um, agenda. And nonetheless, universities are considered to be a crucial player in uh, achieving the SDGs. And so usually uh, the role of universities is restricted to um, this idea that universities provide knowledge um, and that they provide, um, I know this is a kind of um, negative term, human resources, right? They provide um, education for students who are then supposed to do good in the world. But then still, uh, within these roles, um, there is a feeling of, of deficit in the sense that science is not able to respond adequately to the challenges of our time. And this then leads to questions regarding the way universities are set up. So, and if there might be issues with the ways universities are set up that might be counterproductive. 
to this aim of contributing to sustainable development. And against that background, universities are increasingly asked to first engage more with society, but then also in a sense to um, question their own um, their own operation and their own organization in a sense. And so against these discussions then, um, uh, in the setup of the report and setup of the expert groups group, there were three main themes that were identified. So the first was the role of inter and transdisciplinarity in curriculum development and research programs. Um, then the question of different ways of knowing and how to kind of bring diverse, a diverse range of traditions and institutions and epistemologies into universities. And then also the third big theme are the role of universities as partners with private, public and civil society actors. And so these, the experts then were asked to develop the report around these three themes. And so, and this is kind of what the chapter that you were mentioned mentioning mm -hmm. now starts off this broader theme of transdisciplinarity, right? And uh, in the beginning of the discussions, um, the group discussed very much, okay, now we're supposed to talk about transdisciplinarity, but actually uh, the theme is broader because mm -hmm. transdisciplinarity is just one term in relation also to interdisciplinarity and multidisciplinarity. So there are lots of debates, but all of them have in common um, to transgress disciplinary boundaries and find ways of thinking and working together. And this kind of was the background for this chapter. And yeah, so the first thing that uh, this chapter then does and that the expert group discussed was kind of, well, why do we even think this is important? So in a context of such a UNESCO report with global political actors, it's important to have a good kind of a well-grounded argument of why do we even call for universities to become more trans inter and multidisciplinary in their operations, right? Mm. And then they came up with three bigger arguments. One kind of pointing towards the complexity of sustainability challenges and the interconnected nature of the SDGs. So this is kind of a instrumental justification. So the challenges are so complex that not, no singular discipline can um, reasonably be expected to address the challenge. Mm. Then there is kind of the philosophical perspective or the philosophical rationale that kind of there is this inherent desire to transcend the narrowness of singular disciplines. And then, and that's something that I found really interesting, there is this critical argument also, like that um, working together across disciplines um, is a way of also kind of pointing towards underlying assumptions and power, power dynamics in existing systems of knowledge production. So there is this critical function of uh, transdisciplinary work which in turn is also, as the report points out, a key function of universities themselves that sometimes gets lost in this kind of producing human resources, providing knowledge, and this very instrumental thinking. 
the critical dimension of universities in society sometimes get lost. And um, the members of the expert group were very keen on kind of pointing to this. So that while it's important to um, to serve society in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, universities need to retain a, a certain autonomy in deciding on the ways they want to serve. And sometimes being critical of certain developments is the best way to serve society. So if I understand correctly, they thought that like, yes, universities have responsibilities for producing candidates that are like have their education go out and work in a society. They have the responsibility for producing good research about stuff. But here it's sort of they also see that the university as an institution should get more directly involved in the society. Yes. Yes, this is the idea of kind of going beyond boundaries. Yeah. And and I mean, there are good examples, even uh, at the University of Bergen, like the SEAS program for marine sustainability is one such example, where there's an attempt to build a structure that brings together different disciplines and frames the challenge of marine sustainability from very different disciplinary angles, also going beyond academia and working with NGOs Mm. and these kind of things. And a second big concern in this chapter was that um, what we've been talking about now, about the need to transgress boundaries, this is, one could say, okay, this is mainstream, right? So people, this is a bit preaching to the choir. You would yeah. find a lot. You would find lots of people agreeing here, right? <laughs> and but then the question becomes: People have agreeing been agreeing on this for like two decades. So one could point to reports from the late 1990s or early 2000s, where people claim the thing, same things, call for the same things, and there was broad agreement already back then. So what? this chapter also wanted to do is to point to the more structural barriers. So the question, if everyone agrees, so why hasn't this happened yet? Why are we still kind of, why do we still need to write reports like this? Mm. Yeah, so why is there still so much convincing work to be done? So the expert want, the group wanted to also point to some of those more inherent, uh, no, more systemic uh, barriers and some of those work things like um, a more epistemic point that sometimes uh, there is the idea that it is easy to take different disciplines and just kind of put them together and everything will work out fine, right? But then when you go back to uh, philosophers like Thomas Kuhn, who talked about paradigms and these kind of things, then you you see that different disciplines um, operate according to different uh, principles and that they might not be so easily combinable and there is a challenge uh, to integrate knowledge. And then there is kind of the point about the incentives within universities. So it's still very much the incentive structure. If you want to have an academic career, it's very much disciplinary based. It's about having uh, publications in certain journals going to certain conferences um, and having project proposals accepted, which then functions mostly according to disciplinary 
uh, criteria. So the chapter points a bit to these uh, systematic barriers. Yeah. And you also now went into a bit what I think is in the third chapter, ways of knowing this mm -hmm. uh, epistemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the to get them like different disciplines to actually work together, then you need to have a common basis in the epistemic uh, basis for that conversation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So the, the chapter about ways of knowing is, is one that the group was very proud of mm. because this is a chapter that's not, it's a genre, one might say that is not very often seen in kind of these high-level policy reports mm. um, because it's, it's some would say it's very conceptual. Uh, mm. In the discussions we had, people said, well, this is very hard to read. <laughs> <laughs> but then yeah. again, the group was very, very uh, proud of it because it tackles some taken-for-granted assumptions, right? Um, assumptions about what is knowledge um, and assumptions about uh, how a university is supposed to use knowledge. And if you don't address these kind of basic assumptions or premises, the risk is that you um, provide or develop solutions based on a false starting point. So you might end up solving the wrong problems or solving problems that aren't actually problems. And that's why the group opted for kind of a, a more, yeah, one could say social science, philosophy-inspired approach. And what that means is um, that this chapter um, argues for a move towards uh, so-called ecologies of knowledges, uh, so making other ways of knowing, learning, and sharing knowledge more present in the higher education institution. So it's not about replacing anything. It's, it's always a kind of um, adding, moving beyond what we have and broadening what is there. And the starting point is very much, very basic actually. Um, it is the point that when we talk about knowledge and universities providing knowledge for achieving the SDGs, this is already a very particular idea of knowledge. It's a knowledge as an object. It's something that is kind of, has neat boundaries, um, is finite, can be managed, um, can be kind of uh, integrated, accumulated, these kind of things. And this idea of knowledge lends itself very much to this uh, notion that universities produce knowledge, basic research, which then kind of leads to innovations, which will then solve all our problems. Mm. Which is um, an okay model, <laughs> but most people would agree that there might be some limits to this model in describing how the world actually works. Mm. So what they said, it might be useful to also think about knowledge in terms of knowing as a practice. And what this shift does, it directs attention to the more kind of local and uh, situated ways um, knowledge is produced. And what the argument then in this chapter is that it's not necessarily always about bringing people in and integrating different kinds of knowledge, but also appreciating difference and um, learning through 
difference. Mm. Um, and uh, Andy Sterling, one of the members of the group, has called this embracing the pluriverse. So except right. that there are kind of different framings, different viewpoints, yeah, these kind of these kind of arguments. But how do you, uh, did the committee go into like how they can convince different parts of higher education to actually participate in this? Because I can see from uh, in a lot of uh, institutions, it's like the way of integrating other uh, other types of knowledge is sort of disregarded because like how can uh, how can these non-academic parts actually contribute into how to be a good engineer or yeah <laughs> uh, especially it's, it's especially the more technical uh, disciplines we'd want to say that this type of knowledge is not relevant uh, did they uh, did they actually tackle this or did they just go more sort of like okay we we are seeing this much from the social science side and we the uh, technical sciences they can just sort of go on with what they are doing <laughs> no no um, and this is, I think, where the, the diversity of the expert group was very useful mm. because when you just have philosophers and social scientists, it's very easy that you kind of go dive ever deeper into more conceptual things and talk about different ideas of knowledge. But there being engineers in the group and natural scientists, there was always this, what are you talking about? So how does this relate to the mm. SDGs? Yeah. And um, Again, it was a bit unfortunate there that we only had Zoom meetings because if you spend like three days together and have dinner together and these kind of in between the meetings, it's easier to discuss these kind of things. But I'm very happy with how the group handled this. And so, but to your question, um, mm. even if you go to the more technical things mm. like engineering, these, this always has to... Um, be applied outside yeah. of the engineering thing, right? If you if you build a, a water pump, for example, and want to kind of use it in different parts of the of the world, the way these water pumps work then in let's say Bergen or somewhere in the Austrian Alps, where I come from, um, does not only depend on the machine itself, but rather on the people who use them right. and the knowledge with which they come to it. So there is never just the technology itself in a sense. And mm -hmm. that's where kind of these considerations then come in. And um, in order to make such, a, to stay with this example, make mm. um, such a technology function in the way it is intended to, it needs additional expertise. And the more complex such a technology becomes, the more important it is to broaden the perspectives and broaden the discussions. So it's yeah, not because, about kind of different actors writing uh, formula for uh, engineers, but kind of thinking about technology in a broader sense. Yeah, so the technology and the more hard sciences, like their value when you see it's 
in the frame of the SDGs is how do we humans actually use this and like take yeah. take this technology into our society? Yeah, uh, this and would, that's this would, yeah, yeah. This would be at the kind of use end, but also mm. very very much in the beginning. Yeah, you because can have we brought discussions about what are actually the problems we think are most urgent. Exactly to solve. Yeah, so it's it's not just the use end, but it's also the sort of the side of like what should we actually spend our time solving. That's the important stuff as well. Time and resources. Time and resources. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we go nearing our end now, but um, uh, the last chapter you have been a bit into this, like the uh, education uh, partnerships, like having yeah. the partnerships with the other. Uh, do you have any like things where you want that you want to highlight when it comes to this? Uh, because a lot of uh, a lot of space in this report is uh, given to this uh, the partnership with uh, mm -hmm. other. I mean, so this third chapter that you mm -hmm. we're now moving mm -hmm. into kind of responds to this. Um, third overarching question or theme mm. that was how to strengthen the role of universities as partners with both private, public and civil society actors mm. in the work with the SDGs. Right, so this is kind of um, the question about how do we steer, develop already existing partnerships um, in a way to make them more useful for achieving the SDGs mm. and kind of um, this chapter, what this chapter tries to do is to provide a more nuanced pictures of the partnerships that higher education institutions are developing and nurturing. And the main challenge that they point out here is challenge or tension, if you will, is that universities should in these partnerships remain as independent as possible. And this is kind of with, um, I've briefly talked about this already earlier, that mm. you want to kind of serve society. And if you get into partnerships, things become necessarily messy, mm -hmm. which, is yeah. sometimes a, which is sometimes a good thing. And you have this tension of kind of doing what your partner wants, but also remaining kind of independent, autonomous, since this is one of the core strengths of universities, that they are autonomous actors within this network of different actors. So that the central point of this chapter then of, is in a sense that um, given the dramatic unprecedented challenges that humankind is facing, um, that these already existing partnerships and interactions need not only be strengthened, but redirected towards mm -hmm. the SDGs while keeping independence and autonomy um, in place. Yeah. And just very briefly, the the mm. chapter then points to a broad range of partnerships, mm. um, talking about things like um, lifelong learning as one such partnership, where you not only kind of train students, but you have this idea that there are um, actors in different phases of the biographies who can still um, come back to university and learn and um, partnerships with the public sector mm. are considered crucial when you think about what is science space and what is policy support. 
so the universities like they should be a bit on the side but at the same time go into society organizations com communities municipalities and sort yeah. of participate in their development of yes yeah interesting uh, do you have any last uh, points that you want to share <laughs> um this is always a tricky question so yeah the last the last points i want to share then seem to be the most important ones <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> and also i am just uh part of the secretariat representing 14 experts with very different perspectives and views but yeah i'm doomed yeah. to fail here but <laughs> i will i will try anyway so what i think is one of the most interesting parts of this report and um, that kind of is like a bit of a thread throughout the different chapters is this idea actually of um, that if we want universities to contribute to the SDGs, it is, not, it is necessary but not sufficient to have um, just add-ons like one sustainability seminar here, uh, one small underfunded uh, transdisciplinary group there. Um, it is important to tackle the underlying issues like kind of incentive structures, ideas about excellence, the way kind of resources are distributed, um, which all still happens very much according to disciplinary structures and more uh, in the following ideas of scientific excellence. Mm. And in some, not always, but sometimes following such ideals of scientific ex excellence might be counterproductive to achieving the SDGs. And I think the report does a very good job and uh, the members of the expert group have done an excellent job in kind of pointing to these um, underlying structural or systemic challenges and um, barriers towards working for the SDGs. Thank you for giving us your time here and uh, giving you good insight into this report. Thank so, you. It was yeah, a pleasure. A real pleasure to have you here. Du har nå lyttet til et intervju i regi av Forum for Vitenskap og Demokrati. Ansvarlig for podcasten er Ingel Pilskog, førsteamnensis i Naturfag ved Høgskolen på Vestlandet.